New Year. Have you wished anybody Happy New Year yet? Okay, all right. Good. Now's your chance if you haven't. Okay, and I would encourage you, perhaps it was with the same people that you're talking with, or maybe different people, if you want to talk with someone else, uh, what are you looking forward to in 2023? New Year, new beginnings, what are you looking forward to? Feel free to share in your areas. All right. <clears throat> Sounds like you've got a bit in the pipeline, which is good. Looking forward to it. Perhaps part of what you're looking forward to is, is that opportunity in a new year to you know, make some New Year's resolutions, right? Some common ones on the screen. I don't know if you have uh, chosen to do some of those or all of those, but you know, research uh, indicates that by February... 80% of people who have made New Year's resolutions are not doing it anymore. So I want to help you. I want to help you be in that 20% where you're just charging on and working towards your New Year's resolution goals. And so I've got some suggestions which you are welcome to kind of take and, and put into practice in your life. Okay? Here's my um, list of suggested New Year's resolutions for 2023. Only buy pants with no buttons or zips, okay? <laughs> Easy, boom, probably like half the wardrobe nailed. Uh, stop blaming my farts on the dog. <laughs> now, some of you laugh because you know someone who does that. Some of you laugh because you are that person. It was an awkward laughter. What about this one? Read more by activating the subtitles on Netflix. <laughs> Finish all the DIY projects that were started last year. Uh, another suggestion. Vow to communicate exclusively in memes. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Uh, stop counting banana cake as one of my five plus a day. And the last one. Do so much yoga, it justifies wearing yoga pants 24-7. Just some suggestions. I think if you wanted to work really hard on that, you could achieve those easily by February. But the reality is we are on the edge of a new year, and, and I guess a, probably a better question is, what do you think 2023 is going to look like for you? Are you excited about it? Are you anxious about it? Do you think it's going to be cruisy? Do you think it's going to be a challenge? I guess if we've, if we've learned anything from the last few years, we know that there is, we just have no idea what's going to unfold in the coming year, right? There's all these predictions coming out, but no one really knows. And so perhaps a better question is, how are you going to navigate 2023? What type of person do you want to be by the end of the year? Come Christmas 2023, which feels like a long way away, but by Christmas 2023, how are you going to look back on the year? What ways do you think you might have grown? What have, what have you learnt uh, about yourself, about the world, about God? What characteristics have you developed? How, how have you um, changed as a person? Now, that's quite heavy for the 1st of January, right? You're like, whoa, hold up, I'm just waking up from a very late night. But if we don't think about it now, the year's just going to fly by. We're going to be the same people struggling with the same stuff in 12 months' time. So I genuinely want to help you have a really good year this year. And so that's why over the next five weeks, 
here at ABC. Our teaching series is called Wisdom That Works. Very simply, we're just going to be exploring some practical help for us to navigate life together. And we're going to be doing that by diving into the biblical book of Proverbs. So if you're familiar with a proverb, it's, it's a short statement that kind of captures a moral truth or, or some, some life advice. And Proverbs are as old as history. So archaeologists have discovered that cultures like the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, ancient cultures around countries, they've all had different collections of Proverbs. In the English language, we've got heaps of Proverbs. So I thought I'd give you a little test this morning. Just, it's probably going to be determined by who went to bed before midnight and who stayed up after midnight. But basically, I'm going to put some well-known proverbs up on the screen. Um, and if you think you can explain what they mean, then I will give you a, a crunchy. Okay? So let me just open the pack up first. Some of them are quite easy, but basically, first person to call out an answer that is roughly correct. We'll get a crunchy. All right, here's the first one. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. What does that proverb mean? Go in the list. Go on. <laughs> Annalise. That is, uh, yeah, chicken thing. Ah, that's a good answer, right? Just make sure you know what's happening before you kind of get too far down the track. Okay, good. All right, that's good. Easy. Next one. Every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, nice. Good, good explanation. All right, well, that was a terrible throw. Okay. Too many cooks spoil the broth. Master chef. Any takers? Yep. I think we should take a straw poll here. Does that, does that deserve a chocolate? Who are you going to give it to? Yeah. <laughs> Redeemed. Don't know if I'd agree with that answer, but anyway. Okay. The app... <laughs> Ironic. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I did not pre-align that. That's just... No, I'm not having that one. All right. Anybody want to take this one? Oh, that. Yeah, good one. Okay. Good, cool. All that... Oh, birds of a feather flock together. Did someone say like minds think alike? That was an excellent answer. Oh, and a trip. Oh, not bad. But, so people who are similar gather. All that glitters is not gold. Hey? Could be mica. Could be mica. Fool's gold. Fool's gold, all right. Which has fooled a lot of people. Okay. Uh, a couple more. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Stick with what you've got. Did I hear someone? Yep, okay. I actually heard two. It was pretty much the same word for word. So there we go. All right. That was a good throw. Okay, last one. The pen is mightier than the sword. Words can hurt. Words can hurt. 
Yeah, that's actually quite an interesting take. All right, nice, I like that. Okay, so there you go. Those are some Proverbs, short statements that give uh, some wisdom around life. And the biblical book of Proverbs draws on some really ancient wisdom that has actually stood the test of time. So Proverbs was collected around 3,000 years ago, and it gives insight into how to live the best life. And so commentators have likened Proverbs to being like a template or or a guidebook, or, or a map, how to live well. That's kind of the goal of Proverbs. So this is the opening lines of Proverbs. You're welcome to read with me. If you've got a Bible, you can open or swipe to the first chapter of Proverbs, and this is what we read. The purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fear. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. So it's pretty clear, right? The, the purpose of proverbs is basically how to live the good life. If, if you put these truths into practice, you'll basically be able to upgrade your life. And so if you follow this advice, chances are you'll be a better person. You, you'll probably have a more harmonious home life. You'll probably have um, more successful dealings in work and in business. You'll be able to resist temptation. You'll be able to control your tongue. You'll be able to increase your wealth, be more emotionally stable, and probably be physically healthy. Now, those are really good things. But they're actually just a bonus. They're just kind of like a side benefit, a byproduct to the real purpose of the biblical book of Proverbs which is to help you grow in wisdom so that you can get to know God. This is what we read in the next line. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That line is the core of Proverbs. If you're going to distill this collection down to one drop, it would be Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And so this idea of the fear of the Lord is a really crucial theme, not just in Proverbs, but right throughout the whole Bible. And and I need to clarify for you, it's not a sense of dreads or terror or anxiety. It's not, not even a feeling of guilt or unease. Fear of the Lord is an openness to God. It is being eager to please Him. It is showing humility and being willing to be instructed by Him. And according to this, fear of the Lord is the beginning of our journey to wisdom. Fear of the Lord opens our eyes to see who God is and who we are in in comparison. A few weeks ago, we um, sort of explored a little bit about the thinking of a a guy called C.S. Lewis, famous for uh, his novels, but also for his other Christian writings. And this is what he wrote. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself, unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So essentially, fear of the Lord is is really humility, like you can boil it down to that, and that foundation, humility, fear of the Lord, is is what Proverbs really rests upon. 
But it's interesting because humility is quite uncommon in our modern world, right? You think about it. The Western culture that we live in has a huge emphasis on self-promotion and, and self-reliance. We've got selfie sticks. We've got self-help books. We've got self-directed learning, a whole bunch of things that revolve around self. And a big part of that can actually be traced back to a guy called René Descartes, Frenchman, with a lovely little French goatee going on. He was a 17th century French philosopher, and he was really wrestling with the meaning of life. And he wanted to know what was true and what was real. So he started to doubt the existence of everything. He started to question what was real and the hope that he could eventually find out what was left. So he starts doubting the reality of everything he could think of, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, all those elements of human experience. And he realized this, that if he was thinking, then at the very least, he must exist. So that led him to famously write these words, in Latin, cogito ergo sum, or in English, I think, therefore I am. Now, you may have heard of that phrase. But basically what Descartes was trying to do there was he was trying to rebuild reality by beginning with himself as the center. And he, he wasn't shy about it either. And in another uh, writing, another piece of writing, he, he put this, I shall bring to light the true riches of our souls, opening up to each of us the means whereby we can find within ourselves, without any help from anyone else, all the knowledge we may need for the conduct of life. Not a shy guy. But for the last 300 years, the Western world has been looking inward for the knowledge we may need to conduct life. We only need to look at the challenges that our world is facing. Poverty, corruption, exploitation, conflict. I would suggest that looking inward is not really the best place to find true wisdom, to find the knowledge we need for life. Real wisdom begins with humbling ourselves before God. And to understand how life really works, we need to start by looking to God. That was the aim of Solomon. 3,000 years ago, he was a Jewish king. His kingdom extended across much of modern Israel and into the surrounding area. And he reigned for around about 600 years. And he had a reputation as being one of the wisest men in the ancient world. So according to the Bible, Solomon asked God to give him uh, an understanding heart so that he could govern the Jewish people well, so that he could determine between right and wrong. And God generously grants Solomon his request. This is what we read. God gave Solomon great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands on the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. Kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. That's a pretty good reputation to have, right? Solomon had a very broad range of intellectual interests. He was a statesman, a diplomat, a trader. He was a judge, a counsellor, an architect, an engineer. As a scientist, he had interests in biology, botany, zoology. He was also a patron of the arts, an accomplished poet. He wrote over a thousand poems. And he was a philosopher. The majority of the proverbs in the biblical collection were written by him. 
And he had a particular purpose in mind. He recorded these proverbs to teach his developing leaders. So Solomon had members of the royal household, his, his sons, but also some government advisors, he, and he wanted to help them to recognize the wisdom of God, to see God's hand at work in their lives and how they could put that into practice. And so throughout this collection, Solomon highlights two paths that a person can take, the path of wisdom or the path of folly. And so Proverbs has, has got this really kind of useful structure. It's sort of split into two halves, right? So chapters 10 to 31 are packed full of classic proverbial statements. You know, just short two lines. Some of them are really insightful, like this one. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Okay, you've probably seen the truth of that in your own life, your own experience. Well, this one, better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. And there's other proverbs uh, in the collection that are, are less moralistic, but maybe, I don't know, maybe a little bit more humorous, but they sort of still make a point. Like, a bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. <laughs> I don't know if that's true for vegetarians or vegans. I don't know. Anyway. Or what about this one? It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Now, Solomon had 700 wives, okay? So I don't really know. Um, he, probably, he probably had a fair share of quarrels, um, but I don't imagine him living in the corner of an attic of his massive palace or whatever. But that's chapters 10 through to 31. Chapters 1 to 9 really set the scene and, and show the value of pursuing wisdom. And so chapters 1 through 9 are actually a series of speeches encouraging the reader to follow the path of wisdom. And most of the speeches are written from the perspective of a father to a son. It's like King Solomon teaching his sons what it looks like to be humble before God. And so in these series of speeches, Solomon calls his sons to lead with integrity, to seek justice, to give generously, to be wise, and to show that fear of the Lord. Now, if you have a son or a daughter, these speeches are, are really worth a read because you can hear in them the heart of a father. Solomon desperately wants the best for his children, and he knows he cannot force them to choose the path of wisdom, but he wants to encourage them to choose that path. And I guess that's the tension that every parent wrestles with, right? Like, we want the best for our kids, but how do we help them make good choices? How do we encourage them to be wise? Well, Solomon says that the best way for a person to live life is by pursuing wisdom. And so interspersed with these speeches from the Father, there's a handful of speeches from a character called Lady Wisdom. And the biggest speech is in Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to read some selected lines from it, and then um, we'll kind of unpack it in a bit more detail. This is what we read, Proverbs chapter 8. Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance of the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you, I raise my voice to all people. 
Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. Choose my instruction rather than silver, and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. And there's this a really fascinating literary technique that Solomon uses to personify God's wisdom. And it's quite unusual at this point in history. So, so in ancient culture, women were not given the same voice as men. And, Sol- and Solomon personifies God's wisdom as the voice of a woman. Actually, if you read further, you'll see that she is dignified, she is diligent, she is insightful, she is intelligent. And, and wisdom, God's wisdom, this voice of wisdom, should be pursued. It should be prized. It is more valuable than silver, more precious than gold or rubies. Look what else she has to say. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. Common sense and success belong to me, insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings rule, and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help, and nobles make righteous judgments. You know, not only is God's wisdom to be pursued and prized, but it is powerful. In verse 15 and 16, we read that kings reign, and rulers make just decrees, and nobles can make righteous judgments because of God's wisdom. So whenever and wherever people make wise decisions, that thread can ultimately be traced to God's wisdom. It is the foundational fabric of our universe. So you think about that for a moment. That means your boss or your colleague or or your relative or your teammate or your neighbor, whenever they make a wise decision, it's likely that God has, has chosen out of his generosity to bless that person with wisdom. And conversely, if you know a person who consistently makes foolish decisions, it's likely they are lacking God's good wisdom. So to reinforce that God is the source of everything that is good and true and perfect, Lady Wisdom says this, I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. And so my children, listen to me, for all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. You know, Solomon shows this contrast between pursuing either wisdom or folly. And the path to wisdom gives joy and favor and life, and the path to folly ultimately leads to death. That's a really sobering reality check. Our everyday decisions can have significant consequences for good and for bad. So I really encourage you to pursue the path of wisdom this year. Instead of worrying about pants with zips or buttons or or your DIY projects or or how much yoga you're going to do, a better New Year's resolution would be to learn and to grow in wisdom. And I need, to, I need to say, I, th- I think you're already doing it, right? I mean, you're in church on the first day of the year. What a good start. I believe if we weave the fear of the Lord into our daily lives, if we willingly humble ourselves before God, if we recognize his guidance, if we follow his path that leads to life, then, 
you will find refreshment and fulfillment. You'll find joy and satisfaction. Things will go well for you. You'll be in tune with God's good wisdom. So here's my challenge to help you walk in the path of wisdom. Uh, a very simple suggestion about how you can make it happen. There are 31 chapters of Proverbs and 31 days in January. Now, I'm no mathematician, okay? <laughs> but you could easily read one chapter a day. And if you did, you would find a lot of value in that. You'd be inspired and, and find encouragement for your daily walk in wisdom. Now, you could also do something which would make it even easier. So uh, if you've got a phone, smartphone, some of you have, uh, there's an app called YouVersion, right? And it's got a whole bunch of reading plans on it. So you can get YouVersion if you haven't got it from uh, Google Play or App Store or whatever. And then you can track down this Bible reading plan called Proverbs, the book of the wisdom of Proverbs, by a group called The Bible Project. And again, same sort of thing. Every day they'll give you a short reading, two or three paragraphs, with selected verses, mainly a chapter from Proverbs. Now, I did this several weeks ago uh, and found it hugely motivational, really, really easy, and, and really, really insightful. So that is something that could be quite helpful for you if you wanted to try that. So if you want 2023 to be a good year for you, if you want to navigate the highs and the lows that are going to happen, right? If you want to learn and grow and mature and trust God more, then my encouragement for you is to just make one New Year's resolution, to pursue the path of God's wisdom. And I'm really looking forward to tracking along that journey with you. So we're just going to watch a, a short video clip which kind of captures a bit of the background to Proverbs, and then we're going to share communion together. Thanks, Jace. There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life? Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective, and it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything. Work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights, things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah. 
and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. All right, just a simple summary, but also a good kind of indication if you got onto that version Bible reading app, you get some quality stuff from them. Hey, uh, we're going to share communion together, and, and scholars argue that actually God's wisdom centers on a cross. That's certainly what the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, Corinthians chapter 1. He wrote, To those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. You know, if you think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it was Ultimately, a demonstration of humility. The wisest person the world had ever known showed his humility by giving up his life so that others may live. 
And that's what communion is. It's a simple, symbolic meal, just reflects that sacrificial humility of the Son of God. So I invite you to, in your own time, to remember and reflect and to draw upon that wisdom of God that is shown in the humility of Jesus. So when you are ready, feel free, tables at the front and a table at the back. All right, let's pray. God, uh, we're at the beginning of a new year. As we look forward, we just really ask that we would walk in your wisdom. Whatever comes our way, the highs, the lows, whatever. We just ask for your direction in our decisions, your guidance on the paths that we should follow. And in all things, may we be humble. May we show that fear of the Lord as we fix our eyes on Jesus.